Right, good morning, gents. Um, great to see you. Um, it's half term, so I guess we are a little lighter on numbers, but well done for filling up from the front, showing, uh, showing everyone how it's done. Uh, fantastic to see you. I'm Pat, I'm involved in Burning Man here at St. Michael's. The, the clergy of St. Michael's send their regards and their love. I guess they're off um, living it up somewhere for half term, uh, so they can't sadly be with us. Um, so we've just taken over their home for the day. But um, great to have you with us. Um, this is our third meeting of uh, this new term, uh, looking at uh, a series in 2 Timothy. And I'm delighted to say we have uh, Jonathan Fletcher with us this morning. Jonathan was vicar of Emmanuel Wimbledon for many years. He'll be known to a number of you, I think. Um, and uh, he is retired, keen to stress he's retired, although uh, fortunately for us, still available for selection with Burning Man. So we're thrilled uh, to have Jonathan with us. Would you please give him a warm welcome? Thank you very much indeed. Uh, very good to be back uh, with you again. Uh, would you like to be turning to, to Timothy? And when you've all found it, I'll pray and then, uh, then read. To Timothy. Let me pray. Our gracious God and Father, we praise you for your word and we remember that the person that you esteem is the person who trembles at your word. Therefore, we pray that you'll help us to come humbly to your word, to sit under it, and we pray that head and heart and will will be engaged and that you open our eyes to behold wonderful things out of your law. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, 2 Timothy, chapter 2. Uh, my version may be slightly different from yours. I'm using the ESV. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It's the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound, Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we've died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Uh, may I begin by saying uh, to congratulate you on doing studies in 2 Timothy. Uh, the pastorals, uh, 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus, have been neglected. They've been neglected by liberal theologians because they said it, they're not by Paul, which they most certainly are. They've been neglected a bit by Roman Catholics because there's nothing about a sacerdotal uh, ministry here. 
uh, and the sacraments. Um, and for others, they've just seemed rather sort of bourgeois and not very, very exciting. But they are very, very important indeed because what Paul is doing as he writes to Timothy is he's looking down the tube to the post-apostolic age and what's likely to happen there. So he's preparing Timothy and us for what happens after the, all of the apostles have uh, died. Uh, and there's a certain amount of warnings. I don't know whether you've noticed this, but in each of the four chapters, there are people to be aware of. So in chapter 1, in verse 15, there was Phygelus and Hermogenes, and they were deserters. Uh, and then in our chapter, a little later on, there's Hymenaeus and Philetus, this is verse uh, 17. Uh, and their talk will spread like gangrene. And of course, gangrene is, is fatal. You can't cure uh, gangrene. And I think when I was last with you, when we looked at Micaiah ben Imla, I said that uh, from then on in, that is from the time of Elijah, the problems weren't going to be attacks from outside, but false teachers within. And uh, what these two characters seem to be doing, Hymenaeus and Philetus, is what we call um, over-realized eschatology, trying to say to people that you've got it all here and now. And there's always been movements like that. Um, uh, the Keswick movement was a bit that, you can have holiness now. And, of course, the prosperity gospel is about that, like that now. And to some ingredients in a healing ministry. You, you may remember there were very good books, um, Power Evangelism, uh, Power Healing, and they thought a third one was going to come out on guidance, and they were going to call it Power Steering. That never actually appeared. Um, but there were those people who say, look, you've got it all here and now. We're actually... We've got a certain amount here now, but much more to come. And then in chapter 3, there's Janis and Jambres, verse uh, 8. We don't know much about them. They were Egyptian magicians. And then tragically, the two in uh, chapter 4 are Demas, who uh, forsook, uh, deserted Paul, in love with the present world, and Alexander the coppersmith, who did great harm. So in each chapter, he names people that you have to be aware of. Now, I don't know whether you're doing your own study in, in uh, 2 Timothy, but a number of good commentaries have come out, and their titles give away what they think is the main thrust. So John Stott's commentary is entitled, Guard the Gospel, uh, because within a generation, Paul is saying to Timothy, there are going to be these uh, false teachers. And they tend to be people who've been truly converted, uh, but then after a few years say they've moved on, which of course means that they've moved away. We have to be careful of them. Uh, when when uh, John Stott in his God the Gospel, he says, look, to do that is going to involve suffering. Um, so although Paul says, join me in Rome, actually he also says more strongly, join me in suffering because there's going to be the difficulties of disgrace, desertion, and danger. And some of you have begun to realize this already. Um, we are going to be hated. I think that's not too strong a word for the stand we take on the homosexual issue. Uh, a girl in one of our schools in Wimbledon, an eight-year-old, came home to her, her mother, an eight-year-old, said, Mommy, my closest friend is Alice, therefore I am gay. And that is what they're being taught in our schools. This was a private school, I think. Now, to take a stand on that one is going to make us very unpopular indeed. Uh, John Piper, uh, um, who's, this is the book that I'm going to quote from in a moment, here the title of this is A Fan the Flame. 
Um, so, so keep, keep going at it and uh, fires go out unless they're constantly being fed. And then Chris Green's little commentary is finish the race, see it through to the end. And the statistics are very frightening. This is uh, from America. Among the deserters and defectors were Phygelus and Hermogenes. But these men are not the only apostates, of course. Many people have abandoned the ministry. It happens all the time, every day, in fact. This is a reputable person. 1,700 ministers leave the ministry every month. This is America. Half of the people who are still in the ministry have considered leaving the ministry in the last few months, and only half of those who are starting out will last five years. Barely one in ten will actually retire as a minister. So this is the United States, a big issue of people uh, not keeping going, which is why Chris Green calls his thing, uh, finish the course, see it through to the end. Now, what Paul does in our passage is he wants, the, he wants this progression, what we call the apostolic succession, to take part. And you'll have noticed that there are four generations uh, from verses 1 and 2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What you've heard from me, I've passed on to you, uh, Timothy, in the presence of many witnesses. Entrust that to faithful men, third generation, who will also be able to teach others also. So four generations. And Riken gives a great example uh, of this. When we look at the history of the church, we see an unbroken chain of gospel ministry, an evangelical succession. To give just one example, in the early 17th century, the Cambridge preacher Richard Sibbs wrote a book about the comforting work of Christ called The Bruised Reed. One of the people who read that book was a tinker who gave a copy to a boy named Richard Baxter, who became one of the greatest preachers in the Puritan church. Baxter wrote A Call to the Unconverted, which made a dramatic difference in the life of Philip Doddridge. This was in the early 18th century. Doddridge, in turn, wrote a book called The Rise and Progress of Religion in the Soul, which was a means of saving and sanctifying grace in the life of William Wilberforce. And probably all of you know stories like that. And uh, here in, in um, London, till recently, um, Richard Buse, who was the... Uh, uh, rector of All Souls Langer Place. His great-grandfather was converted through D.L. Moody uh, back in the late 1890s, and then the succession has gone on. So the church I've been at, Emmanuel Wimbledon, we've had one of the great-great-grandchildren of that original person, and his children are standing firm. So that is what uh, Paul is wanting. And what he does in our passage is uh, to say, look, I'm looking for men like this, people with two, two conditions, qualities to look for, and three metaphors to illustrate that. Now, the qualities is people of reliability. Entrust a faithful man who will be able to teach others also. Faithfulness to the gospel. You know that there are two once-for-alls in, uh, in, in the gospel, in the, in the New Testament. There's the once-for-all death of the Lord Jesus. That's what the author of the Hebrew says again and again, um, the death of the Lord Jesus cannot be repeated or added to. And there's the one for all, once for all faith delivered to, to the saints, which tells us that in every church there are only two pieces of furniture that are necessary. A table, and incidentally in Anglican churches there are no altars. A table where we remember what the Lord Jesus did on the cross and a pulpit to remember 
uh, what God has said, the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Uh, what the liberal agenda is doing is, so this is how Niebuhr sums it up, talk about a God without wrath, bringing men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. So that is the way things have been changed as people subtract from the gospel. A God without wrath. I've just had the briefing for the camp I'm going to be helping on in the summer. And I've got to give a Bible reading on what does the cross tell us about the wrath of God? Because it's there in the New Testament. It brings men without sin. They were all perfectly all right. And nothing to worry about. Because there's a, judge, there's a kingdom without judgment. All will be there. My dear sister, this isn't in my notes. My dear sister um, is a widow, and she's, she's keener than ever, uh, and she's right with non-Christians. So she plays quite a lot of tennis, plays a lot of bridge and so on, and seizes every opportunity. And in her bridge party a couple of weeks ago, uh, they talked about somebody's funeral, and um, one of them said, um, oh, they gave him a good send-off. To which she said, to where? To where? And they hadn't sort of thought of that. Um, and the implication was that there was uh, no judgment, nothing uh, to worry about. And therefore, the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. If there's no God of wrath, if we're not sinners, if there's going to be no judgment, why on earth did the Lord Jesus Christ bother? So down the ages, there are going to be people who subtract, uh, which is why uh, you've got to be careful. And Paul wants faithful men. The other danger, of course, is adding to the gospel. Uh, there was a great 20th century theologian called Karl Barth who said that all heresy begins with the word and. So the Reformation talks about the five onlys, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, scripture alone, uh, the glory of God alone. And the temptation of some people who want to add to that is to talk about faith and works, uh, Jesus and Mary, scripture and reason. Although, interestingly enough, uh, Bishop um, Michael Nazarelli said that as he's listened to debates in General Synod, people are appealing not actually to Scripture, nor to uh, reason or tradition, but they're appealing to experience. How can we deny the experience if they say that they're called, even if they're living in a gay lifestyle? How can we challenge that experience? And the, the Reformation comes along and says, Scripture alone is the authority, not anything else. So Paul wants faithful men who are going to stand firm. Recently, for various reasons, I've been on an interviewing panel uh, looking at uh, potential uh, ministers for different churches. And it was really quite frightening that uh, the, the, the representatives from the congregations who were on the panel weren't really interested in the doctrinal position of the candidates. So they were rather surprised when I said, um, what do you mean by being an evangelical? And they didn't seem to know. And worryingly, at another church, um, it would better be nameless, uh, there were two, two candidates, one good, one bad, and they pointed the bad one, and he didn't last very long. And I asked uh, the curate there, what happened? And he said, we'd stop teaching the, the senior men. So they didn't have a sort of sense of smell as to what the truth was and where people were deviating from it. And Paul says, I want faithful men, those who are absolutely true to the apostolic gospel.
But not only faithful men, uh, men of reliability, but also people of ability. He wants loyalty and competence. And what has happened again and again is there are some leaders who are very competent and very able, but they're no longer loyal because they've moved on. And there are others who are very loyal and very worthy, but they're not very able. So what Paul is looking for is people who are going to be faithful to the gospel and who are able, uh, verse um, uh, 2, to pastor other people, to to read the Bible, to do one-to-one ministry, and so on. So those are the two qualities that uh, Paul is looking for. Uh, people who are faithful to the gospel and who are able. And then he uses uh, three metaphors, uh, the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer. And putting it negatively, he's really saying, I don't want any cowards, there to be no cheats, and there to be no slackers. So first of all, the soldier. Verse 3, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Now, maybe some people here who have been in the army, and if you join up as a soldier, you know that you're risking danger, hardship, suffering. And when Paul says no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, he's not giving license to neglect the family, I mean, or, or to, to neglect one's job. I mean, Paul worked as a, a tent maker, and presumably he worked hard as a tent maker when he had to do that. But don't get distracted. A great friend of mine, now in glory, uh, was teaching in uh, a prep school. And uh, the headmaster uh, said, you know, it's great having David on the staff. I'm just a bit sorry he's so sort of caught up with this Christian thing. He was running the school Christian union. A few years later, the headmaster said, uh, it's great to have uh, David on the staff, but he's obsessed with his music. And he was a very able musician, but music had taken over. Uh, Very wonderfully, though, he reverted, and uh, Christian faith, gospeling, became his main thing. Uh, so Paul is saying, I want people who are going, not going to be distracted. Of course, they, you know, the, the teacher has to um, teach the school choir and that sort of thing. But what is his main emphasis? And he's really saying to you folk, actually, I want to find you always at the front, at the coalface. As you guys go off to the office today, you're going in, into battle. And remember that you're answerable to Jesus. Verse 4. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So that the Christian faith, day by day, I don't say, Lord, will you mind if I read this book or go to this film or spend my money in this way? But Lord, will it please you? It's so much more positive, isn't it? You know, will, will, will you mind if I do this? Now, will it please you? Uh, ancient ones who here will remember the old children's chorus. Lord, help me to please thee throughout every day, in all that I do and in all that I say, that filled with thy spirit, each moment may be a blessing to others and pleasing to thee. That's a great prayer, isn't it, at the beginning of the day? That filled with thy spirit, each moment may be a blessing to others, you go off to the office today, and pleasing to you. So that's the the soldier. And then there's the athlete, verse 5. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Now, I suppose today, uh, well, there's all the FIFA business, but um, uh, the athlete will think of um, uh, performance-enhancing drugs. 
at the time when this was written, it was probably referring to uh, training, which they had to go through before they took part in the Olympic uh, Games. And he's really saying, look, I don't want any cheating, any shortcuts. Uh, you've got to go through the training process. And, of course, that very much applies to those of you who are leading um, house groups, uh, Bible study groups in, in your church and that sort of thing, uh, that, that you take that seriously, uh, doing your prep. Uh, Bishop Stephen Neal uh, was a remarkable man, and my friend Richard Cook was sitting next to him uh, when they were with Cliff Hall together. And Richard said, uh, Bishop, how many books have you written? And Stephen Neal said, I've written about sort of 40. And Richard said, how did you do that, as well as being a missionary bishop and uh, chasing around the world? And Stephen Neal said, discipline. And Richard said, I feared that you would say that. And Stephen Neal said, after love for the Lord Jesus, discipline is the most important thing in the Christian life. Uh, We tend not to like that. Although, when you think of the athletes, think back to the Olympic Games, I mean, how disciplined the athletes are uh, in in their training. And uh, Paul is saying, I want you to be like that. There is one other reference to athletics. If you just look on to verse 22... So flee youthful passions. Uh, Run away. Flee like a stag. Uh, The great example of that in the Old Testament was um, Joseph, when Mrs. Potiphar tried to uh, seduce him. And he fled. And he lost his coat. He lost his freedom, sent to prison. He lost his reputation. But he didn't lose his innocence. So at times it is right not to stand up and fight temptation, but actually to run away. A good friend of mine uh, was sharing a flat, and he realized that the other flatmates were going to lead him into sin. So he fled. He had to leave it. So the the soldier facing danger, hardship, suffering. Uh, The athlete, no cheating, being willing to be really disciplined. And then uh, the farmer. Uh, And the, the picture here is hard work. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. And this is a repeated theme of the pastorals. Uh, In in 1 Timothy chapter chapter 4, verse 10, For this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God. And he says it again in in chapter uh, 5, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Uh, and Paul was able to say that of himself uh, again and again, that uh, it was really hard work. So Colossians uh, 1, 29, uh, him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works uh, within me. You've got the same thing in 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, when Dick Lucas was candidate secretary for a thing called the Church Pastoral Aid Society, um, he was responsible for, for looking after young men who were thinking of um, the ordained ministry. And he used to take them round to different churches to see how things were going. And he took them to the church that was led by a man called um, Canon Llewellyn Roberts. He's always known as Uncle Lou. Uh, he didn't have an H to his name. Uh, he never got out of third gear when he drove, so his car was constantly breaking down. Uh, but they went and uh, looked at his work, and um, a very, very impressive uh, youth work. And they said to him, 
what is the secret of such a successful youth work? To which he replied, hard work, hard work. And if you do a survey of the churches that are flourishing, of course there'll be things like the prayer meeting, but again and again, you find that they're all working very, very hard indeed. Uh, some in Sunday school, sowing, 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 which a farmer has to do. Others having the great joy of reaping, 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 and harvesting. We had a terrific, we've got a terrific example of this uh, back at Emmanuel Wimbledon. We have, for 20 years, a most fantastic church warden called Steve Laws. Uh, he made my life so much easier. He was absolutely terrific. But he stood down after 20 years to retire? No, to teach in the Sunday school. And he now teaches in the Sunday school. He now leads the Sunday school. But, you, you know, he didn't retire. He, he kept on uh, teaching, 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 but in a different uh, sphere. And incidentally, uh, Sunday schools, I don't know what age they go up to, uh, 10 or 11, I suppose, uh, they need men teaching them. It's a pity if people think, oh, Sunday school, it's just for the women to teach. No, young boys need a man to teach them as well. So that's a sphere to be engaged in, and working, working, working. Now, did you notice the glorious balance of verse uh, 7? Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So this is the great balance. Think over it, cogitate on it. Uh, don't let it go in one ear and out the other end. But if I just do that, I'll become a sort of liberal rationalizer. Uh, but also trust, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. And if I just trust without working hard, thinking it through, I'll become a f fanatic. And so you've got this glorious balance. So think, uh, think it through. Uh, read your Christian books and so on. But rely on the Holy Spirit to give you understanding can't do it by yourselves. Uh, spiritual truth uh, needs to be understood spiritually. We cannot do that without the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, all this seems so uh, daunting and challenging. Uh, able men, faithful men, uh, the, the soldier, the farmer, the, the athlete, it's all too much. Verse 8, uh, remember Jesus Christ. Remember the faithful Savior. When it all begins to be such hard work, just remember that uh, uh, he sometimes didn't have time to eat. He had nowhere to lay his head. Uh, I should think he was permanently tired. That is par for the course. So Paul is saying to Timothy, uh, preparing him and us for the post-apostolic age, there's going to be suffering. We're going to be misunderstood. Uh, we're going to be deserted. Uh, that's tragic, isn't it? when somebody who stood with us in church, or whatever it is, gives it all up for some reason or other. We're going to be uh, betrayed. Jesus was crucified. So remember him. And again and again, therefore, it brings us back to the Lord Jesus and, uh, in fact, the cross. Uh, my dear old vicar, uh, when I was a student, used to say, death, dead is the soul that has ceased to be amazed at the love of God as seen at Calvary. Dead is the soul that has ceased to be amazed at the love of God as seen at Calvary. So again and again, uh, Paul brings us back to the Lord Jesus, to his death 
and also his uh, resurrection. So remember him. And then there's this little hymn at the end. There are several like that uh, in the pastorals, verse 11. The saying is trustworthy. If we've died with him, we'll also live with him. To die with him means to have uh, uh, accepted for ourselves his death on the cross and to recognize that the old man under sentence of death has died. My flesh, and the, the, the Greek distinguishes between the two, my, the flesh, my sinful nature, is still alive and kicking. Uh, so I have this constant battle with temptation, and that won't end uh, till I go to glory. But the Jonathan Fletcher under sentence of death uh, died when I became a Christian and when I was born again. So remember that. Remember uh, that that is your position. Uh, many, many years ago, uh, the then queen said to uh, Elizabeth and Margaret before they went off to one of their teenage parties, remember, my dears, royal children, royal manners. Remember your status. So you go off to the office today. Uh, remember that. You've died to that life you lived in the, the old man. Uh, if we endure, we will also reign with him. So stickability, tenacity, again, comes again and again. And you know there are going to be these tragedies like Demas, chapter 4, verse 10, who, who pack it in, love of the world. And incidentally, you'll have more of this later on, uh, one of the biggest things that draws people away is actually materialism. We tend, you know, to be taking a very firm stand, rightly, on uh, sexual morality. But again and again, the danger actually is money. Um, the, in the early church, you know, Ananias and Sapphira, who kept that money uh, back in the, the Old Testament, Achan. So we've got to be very careful. And it's so difficult because the rules on sexual morality are absolutely clear. But when it comes to how I spend my money, the Bible doesn't tell me that I can't have a television or I can't have this sort of car. So I, I can find myself justifying to myself almost anything I want, which is why it's so important to be answerable, to be in a, a little group of what, two or three of you uh, where they can ask the embarrassing question, did you really spend all that money in that way? Uh, because it's a big draw away. Uh, certainly down in Australia, uh, Philip Jensen says that that is the biggest problem with uh, young ministers, uh, money. If we deny him... He will deny us. I think that is a, a clear warning. Uh, does this mean a Christian can fall away? Uh, the way he keeps us, actually, is by promise and warning. Imagine an aircraft flying along, and the air hostess says, may I tell you that this airline has got a 100% safety record. You're absolutely safe. And then the pilot comes on and says, um, uh, may I tell you that if anybody opens the door and jumps out, they'll be killed. And that is the way that the Bible keeps us, both by promise and warning. You've got an intriguing example of that in the shipwreck in Acts 27. So uh, Paul uh, has a vision in the night, and then he passes it on. And he says, uh, the God to whom I belong and whom I serve. Isn't that a brilliant description of a Christian? The God to whom I belong and whom I serve. Uh, the Lord God talks about his people as his treasured possession. And the word could be used of a, a, a newborn baby. That is how much he loves us. The God to whom you belong and whom you serve. 
uh, Paul says, this God has told me that we're all going to be absolutely safe in this boat, although there's the storm, uh, and it's going to be a shipwreck. And then a little later on, um, some sailors uh, trying to sort of save themselves and not everybody else are lowering the boats in order to get away. And Paul has to say to them, if you do that, you will perish. And so there's both the promise and the warning. And that is the way he, he keeps us. So can a Christian fall away? I think the answer is don't, don't. And then wonderfully, verse 13, if we are faithless, and I'm afraid we will be faithless from time to time, he remains faithful. And when I was first ordained back in 1968, my, the vicar to whom I went uh, just dropped me a note saying, you know, he'd be, he was quite a senior man at that stage. He said, uh, I've been a minister for 40 years. And I want to say that although I've been faithless again and again, he's been absolutely faithful. And that is what we can trust. So, the thrust of our passage. Uh, stick with it. Soldiers, athletes, farmers. Uh, no cowardice. Join in suffering. And there's going to be quite a lot of opposition. No cheating. Uh, make sure that you, uh, uh, you know, do your homework and so on. No slacking. Because uh, blessing is going to come through pain. Fruit is going to come through toil for the, the farmer. Uh, life will actually come through, through death and through glory, through suffering. So, uh, in all this, it isn't actually stick with it. It is stick with Jesus. Stick with Jesus. Remember Jesus when it becomes tough and hard. Faithful men who are also able. The soldier, the farmer, the athlete. Let me pray. Then we may sort of question or in your groups. Father, thank you very much indeed for the faithfulness of your word and for the way this letter from Paul to Timothy prepares us for uh, the world today. And we would ask, Father, that we will accept the warnings and indeed accept the challenges and that we will be faithful to the faith once and for all delivered to the saints Show us where we're in danger of slipping away from that. We pray that you will grant us ability so that we can pass on that good news to colleagues at work, to folk in the Sunday school or wherever we're ministering. And we pray, dear Father, that like good soldiers, our aim will be to please the Lord Jesus. We pray that like the athlete, we won't be frightened of discipline. And we're prepared to do the disciplined work that is necessary. And similarly, to be like the hard-working farmer. And in it all, Father, we pray that we will be seeking to please the Lord Jesus in all that we do and in all that we say. So we might be a blessing to others and pleasing to thee. We ask this in his royal and precious name. Amen. Uh, any questions? Any questions? Otherwise, get into... Yes. Uh, my what? Um, I have to say that the reason I'm still going, having been converted in 1954, October the 10th, 1954, 
Um, the fact that I'm still going must be uh, his faithfulness and uh, friends. So I'm tremendously grateful for people who pray for me uh, day by day uh, and who challenge me. So I'm in a prayer triplet um, and we ask each other some frank questions. Um, and uh, since 1956, I've gone every summer to a Christian camp. Uh, I've missed... Uh, I, I, didn't, I never missed a year. One year I wasn't able to be there the whole time. And there was no doubt that that helped me. My daily practice, if that's what you're asking about, um, is uh, uh, to, to have a time of quiet with the Lord Jesus uh, morning by morning. And, you know, very often that is rather flat. Um, certainly I don't sort of spring out of bed looking forward to it. Uh, but often once I'm at it, um, I've just been reading... Um, Nehemiah, and I have actually got quite excited about Nehemiah. That, that finished yesterday. Um, so th- that is a, a daily thing. And then last thing at night, when I'm fairly so weary, I um, uh, read a psalm. And then also, I don't know if you've come across this book by S- Simon Gilbo. Uh, he's got a, a thought for each day. Um, he's got a Bible verse. The thought doesn't often have anything to do with the Bible verse, but um, uh, there's a, has anybody else come across it? I mean, it's wonderfully challenging, isn't it? Um, uh, so I do that last thing at night. But in a sense, as a clergyman, um, you know, I'm surrounded uh, by people who are going to help and support me, and it's much harder for those of you who are at the, um, the coalface so you've got to seize all the opportunities. And it's brilliant that you come to something like this, uh, keeping uh, the Sabbath, the sun- Sunday, as a top priority. And my impression is that, interesting, living in Wimbledon, Wimbledon is such a nice place that people didn't need to go, we- go away at weekends, whereas a lot of churches nearer the centre, you know, you want to get out of London. So it's very difficult for clergy to have a sort of sermon series because uh, people aren't there for the whole series. So somehow or other, if you do go away at the weekend, uh, make sure you go to a, to a church where you can be taught. We, we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Um, you, you know the famous story of the, uh, the old Scottish crofter who had been a sort of loyal church member and then stopped going. And the minister went to, to see him. And the old crofter was uh, sitting in a chair, just gazing at a, uh, a blazing fire. And the minister wisely didn't sort of say anything, but just sat down. They both looked at the fire. And then the minister got up, got the tongs, and picked up a blazing coal and put it in the hearth. And very quickly, it grew cold and stopped burning. Then he picked it up, popped it back in the fire, and it caught light again. And the crofter got the message. If we stay away from the fellowship, we will soon lose our... Uh, we won't be fanning the flame. Uh, so fellowship is very important. Have I got anywhere near your question? Yeah. yeah. I think you get into groups to pray, don't you? What happens now? Oh, yes, of course you can. Yes. Yes. Did you all have the question? Um, because uh, 2 Timothy is so much about leadership, should we be encouraging uh, more people into the ministry? Um, uh, We mustn't begin thinking that people who are ordained um, are are keener and first-class Christians and others at the coalface are not. 
And certainly the church that I've been working at, uh, 30 years at Emmanuel, the church was actually formed, the, 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 the character of the church was formed by the lay folk. Uh, because I was a single person, I couldn't sort of um, uh, give an example of married life, but it was the families that gave Emmanuel its feel. So if you're in the city of working away, that is terrific. Having said that, um, uh, we want to be those who are encouraging people in, into leadership. So um, one of our guys, uh, you know, on holiday went to his mother's church and his sister's church, and he said, it's awful. Um, the sermons were dreadful. I, I, was getting, I get ordained because we need more people to fill the churches with faithful teaching. Now, actually, he's, um, he's looked at it, but he was so put off by the diocesan director of ordinance that he's stick, stuck with it, and he's now still teaching in the Sunday school. So we want to encourage people to think about that. And my friend um, Ian um, Broomfield, who's uh, uh, down in southeast London, he says all the useful people in his church are those that the previous curate, William Taylor, read the Bible with. And therefore, um, I think, it, let's begin again. Um, when Dick Lucas started St. Helen's Bishop's Gate, he was the great preacher. It was a lay movement. There were laymen who had prayed uh, for seven years in the office of a honey merchant called Tony Kimpton. And they tried various things, but they prayed for seven years. And then St. Helen's Bishop's Gate became vacant, and rather remarkably, Dick Lucas was appointed. And Dick Lucas had said that he only went there because there were lay folk who were going to give and pray and bring. Um, so that is uh, tremendously important. Now what happened then is that at that stage there were a lot of people who had come through the navigators uh, and through camp work and so on who knew how to do personal work. And they began reading the Bible with people as they were converted. Uh, William Taylor tells me that there are fewer people like that these days, which is why he has to go on increasing the numbers of staff to do what used to be done by lay folk. Now, there are a number of lay folk there, like VJ men and so on, who are doing that. Um, but where I began is that um, uh, Ian Broomfield said that when he went to his church in Bromley, the most useful people were those that had uh, William Taylor, as the curate, had read the Bible with. And I think it would be tremendous if you folk... Uh, as well as encouraging, encouraging some people to get ordained, nonetheless, we're actually reading the Bible one-to-one -one with people so that they, in their turn, could uh, read the Bible one-to-one -one with people. So not everybody get ordained. Uh, we need people at the coalface. Um, St. Helens, you know, it was lay folk who brought, brought people, gave, and prayed. Uh, but also equipping yourselves to read the Bible with others. Does that vaguely answer your question? So, so all aim to be a, a soul winner and then to read the Bible with, with, with somebody and don't just leave it to the staff. Rather than a st staff. I mean, Dick Lucas says that if you were in St. Helens Bishop's Gate now and you fired your gun in any direction, you'd hit a member of the staff. Um, so we didn't do that at Emmanuel. What happens now? Groups to pray or what? No, I haven't got a question. Sure. I? Yeah. Um, why did you keep your Bible open, Pat? It's just sad, isn't it, when people close their Bibles? <laughs> and incidentally, dear Alec Matias says it's a great pity that um, uh, 
churches have Bibles in the pews. Because in the old days, um, everybody was seen going to church carrying a Bible. It was a great witness. So at the uni, you know, we didn't have Bibles in the, in the pews there. So everybody who turned up at the Christian Union had to be walking through the streets of Oxford carrying a Bible. It was a tremendous witness. So don't, yes, so don't be ashamed of the Bible. So what do you do? Get into groups, uh, have, a, have a thought each, uh, and then pray for one another. Is that okay? Right, okay. Great to see you all, gents. Uh, donations box is out. Uh, if you remember, we encourage five pounds a session if you can afford it. Uh, we're back again in two weeks' time with David Jackman, so uh, look forward to seeing you then. Do continue to encourage other brothers. Uh, we need faithful men in all fields, uh, so do encourage other brothers to join us here if you can. See you in two weeks.